Hey, we're going to be um, continuing our conversation of, um, of John um, and the way that John talks about Jesus uh, as the living word. That's the series that we're in right now. Um, and I've just been learning a lot of things these, these last uh, few weeks. And it's been exciting for me to, to kind of dig in a little bit deeper. And today we're going to zoom out a little bit more as we look at not just the story of John 3 and what, and what he's talking about, but to really zoom out and hear about what Nicodemus, uh, who he is and how Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus as a person. And so we're going to kind of be all over. So if you have Bibles, uh, I highly recommend you have those, or a device is totally cool. But if you need Bible and want a Bible, we have some in the back. And I'm sure if you raise your hand, somebody from the um, team will make sure that you get one. But it's just good, I think, sometimes to to open the word yourself, whether it's in a, bo- in a book form or whether a screen form, and just to kind of get in there and see it for yourself. But before we start, um, uh, I want to pray for us. But a- a- as I pray, before I pray, um, Rachel Held Evans passed away. I don't know if you know who she is. She's been a, a really influential writer and thinker in my life and has challenged um, traditional evangelical- evangelicalism. I think I got that right. And um, she passed away at 37 from this like crazy, I mean, it, start, it started off as a simple like UTI infection, got, became like hospitalization and seizures and all that kind of stuff. And she um, wrote books that really started to challenge the way that I think about things and the way that I interact with God. <clears throat> oh man. So I want to share this with you and then we'll, we'll just pray as we open up the word because um, if you've never read anything by her, I highly encourage you to do so. Searching for Sundays is a great place to start if you want to. That's the, the thing that I did when I decided we were going to plant a church together. I read that book, and it was awesome for me. So this is one of the many awesome Rachel Held Evans um, nuggets of truth. But the gospel doesn't need a coalition devoted to keeping the wrong people out. It needs a family of sinners saved by grace, committed to tearing down the walls, throwing open the doors, and shouting, welcome. There is bread and wine. Come and eat with us and talk. This isn't a kingdom for the worthy. It's a kingdom for the hungry. And so with that, let's pray. Father God, you are good and your love endures forever. I am grateful and thankful for what I get to do, what you've called me to do, and it's to declare your, your gospel to a group of people on Sunday mornings. But God, you've, all, all, you've called us all to be proclaimers of the gospel, to invite people into a conversation with us, to a conversation about you. And I love when Paul talks about how he says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And those are the kind of people that we want to be. And so when we gather together and worship on Sundays, I just pray uh, that when we open your word, that we will be transformed by the gospel. That things that have been floating around in our, in our heads will seep into our heart and will completely affect and change the way that we live in our world, the way that we interact with people around us. You give us so much truth, and we find it confusing, and we argue about it. Um, But the truth that comes from you is that you love us, and we need you. So help us to lean into that today. For in Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. That got me. Sorry about that. Slash not sorry about it. Whatever. I get to do what I do. Hey, I also realized that this, we've been cutting some feedback. This room is really not awesome for sound. 
So as much as they turn me up, it gets a little, so if you're in the back and have a hard time, if you want to move, uh, I get that. But we're just, there's not a whole lot we can do about it. Um, so I'd like to start off, can you grab the lights and, and just have you sink in for a, uh, for a video. And what I want you to do here is I want you um, to try to figure out what's going on. And then maybe we'll have some time where um, we can be a little interactive about what's happening in this video. Go ahead, Noel. Any idea what's happening? They're probably arguing, yeah. It feels like uh, this TV show that I found, it looks like a, a Greek version of like Friends uh, or something like that, right? Any idea? I tried to choose a, a show that was in Greek, so I'm like, we have too many Spanish speakers here. So I need to try to guarantee that you wouldn't know what's happening. It, you're, you want to know, and you feel like you're trying to infer. I feel like so many of you were concentrating so hard on what was happening. Anybody want to take a stab? I have no idea. Also, no, no earthly, no earthly idea. Did not go through the work of, of trying to like get subtitles to that. But that's, so when I open John chapter three and imagine myself as Nicodemus having a conversation with Jesus, that's what I picture how Nicodemus must have felt because he had no idea what Jesus was talking about when he was using these words that he's like, spirit and wind and born again? What are you talking about? It's all Greek, right? Like I just think in that moment, the feeling of wanting to, to lean in and understand something, but having no earthly idea what he was talking about had to have been frustrating. And so for just for a minute, I wanted you to just be in that place, just to remember what it feels like uh, to sort of be in where you're like, I I feel like I, 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 something is familiar, but I don't completely understand. Uh, so we're going to get into to John chapter 3 today and talk about Nicodemus, who's a pretty good guy, considering he's a Pharisee. Um, but we feel like we get pretty um, a good vibes from, from Nicodemus. He was part of the ruling class of the Sanhedrin. So of the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin were the, um, were the sort of the top dogs, and they told everybody else, what to think and believe. Like words came directly from God and then they would sort of pass it down. So that's who he is. Because he is that, he is also super wealthy, uh, very, very privileged, and has all kind, speaks with all kinds of authority, right? When he has, interacts with people, people pay attention and people listen, right? Um, and Jesus completely intrigues him. Like, we just kind of get that right away. Jesus intrigues him. He comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, kind of James Bond, cloak and dagger-like, because he doesn't want anyone to see that he's meeting with Jesus, because the Pharisees are like, so far, what we know about this guy, the miracles that he's done, he's bad for business. We do not like him, right? And so, but, but Nicodemus, there's something about Jesus that Nicodemus is like, I have got to go and have a conversation. So he comes in the cover of night, right, to try to meet Jesus. And I think what that tells us about Nicodemus is that he is open-minded and open-hearted, right? Like he was, his mind was not made up. People weren't going to tell him what to think or believe. Uh, he was not going to go with the rest of the crowd of the, the Pharisees were like, no, we don't, we don't like him. And what we know is he addresses Jesus in the very beginning as rabbi, so he's saying, listen, I understand, you're a teacher. Teacher to teacher, I want to have this conversation with you. So let's open um, to the book of John, chapter 3, and just read the story together in its entirety. This is not going to be one of those weeks 
that we're going to break down every piece of it. But I want us to hear the whole story um, so that we can feel what Nicodemus was feeling and hearing what Nicodemus heard from Jesus because he spends most of the time talking. All right, so hear the words of the Lord from the book that we love. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you do if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. That's a weird word picture. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and what we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus, or just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who, believes may, everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then the part we, we sort of all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly. And what they have done has been done in the sight of God." This is the word of the Lord. And we say, thanks be to God. It's confusing, right? Like there's a lot, that was a big long thing and there's a lot going on in there. And, and I can just imagine like Nicodemus, I, there's wind and things are blowing and there's a spirit and I've never heard spirit before. Um, I don't, I'm trying, I'm leaning in. I'm trying to understand the words that, that Jesus is telling me. I, I'm, Intrigued by him, I think that he's on to something. He kind of goes back to the only birth he knows, right, is a physical one, when a, when a mother gives birth to a child. And so he's like, how, how can, that can't happen again. What, what are you talking about, right? There's water and there's spirit. It's just, it's a confusing piece. And even when I read it, it was hard, it's hard to read. It's, and we, can, we know, we can zoom out a little bit and we know what Jesus is trying to do what Jesus is trying to say as far as setting up 
and preparing people, right, that he is the Messiah, the one that is to come, and that you, uh, you have to understand and believe, right? We kind of, those are all things that sound familiar to us, especially uh, in our last week as we've been working through the book of Luke. But the Spirit is something brand new. They know that water, talking about that water wash, washes away things and purifies things, Jews are very... Um, familiar with that because of all the ceremonial things that they have to do to keep clean. That makes sense to them. I can see Nicodemus going, okay, yep, that part I get. But the Spirit, they don't understand who the Holy Spirit is or does yet. Jesus is already talking about that, but that doesn't fully come to them into their understanding and even into the biblical language until Pentecost. And we'll talk more about that, but the Spirit's primary work is in regeneration, right? And it does its work wherever and whoever has an open heart to receive it. And so we don't hear anything about Nicodemus. Nicodemus doesn't have a last word or he doesn't, we don't hear his rebuttal or his questions. It's just the next chapter starts and then they, I don't know, went and started baptizing more people. That's how the next section of scripture starts. So we don't really hear about Nicodemus again until chapter 7. And this is what I found interesting because there was part of me that really wanted to stay hyper-focused on what was happening in this one section. But then I, I wanted to sort of think about Nicodemus as a whole and where did he go to? We don't meet him again until chapter 7 um, where the religious leaders are starting to plot to kill Jesus. And Nicodemus is sort of the one that, that is there and he's mentioned by name uh, as somebody that sort of stands up for him. So in um, chapter 7, verse 50, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, referring to what we just read, and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing to find out what he has been doing? Right? So Nicodemus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to kind of go through this due process. Lyndon gets it. Right? We need to find out what is, we need to hear from Jesus. He doesn't, he's the first kind of strong voice that we hear that's recorded in John that's dissension among the Pharisees. They're going, this, this, there might be more to this Jesus than we, uh, than we sort of believe. Because he's thinking about his first encounter with Jesus. But do, how does he respond? Like we don't, in this point, we don't know. Does he, does he have this, uh, this conversion? Does he say yes to, be, to whatever he, it means to be born again? Is he raising his hand and going, yes, baptize me. It doesn't, it doesn't say. Did he believe that Jesus was the son of God? Does he believe that the words that John uses, the light of the world, and that he who believes in me will have eternal life? Where does Nicodemus fall in all this? So the next time we meet Nicodemus, interestingly enough, is after Jesus dies. And it's only recorded this way in the book of John. So John 19, 38, if you're a note taker, it says this, Later, Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. There he is again. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. 
as it was accordance with Jewish burial customs. He shows up with Joseph of Arimathea to do this kind of holy but really gross work of taking care of Jesus' body. I think that tells us exactly where he fell in this whole Jesus thing. And he brings 75 pounds of burial spices. So I was like, because I don't understand this at all. I'm, I'm still learning some of these things. That is an inordinate amount of, of spices to bring. Because if we can even guess that maybe Jesus weighed, I don't know, let's say 150 pounds. And, you know, you, you would, the spices that you'd need would be like 10% of somebody's body weight. To, to soak the strips in there, to, to clean, to wash the whole body, everything off. And Jesus would have been, had been beat up and he had thorns in his head and his hair was matted with blood and they would have to wash all of that off. And then they would have to take these spices and they would have to, to, to dip them in these, in these spices so that the, the smell and the thing would get on them and they'd wrap the whole body in that. So 75 pounds is a ridiculous amount. And I, I, he's extremely wealthy, right? And that's what he decides to do is that he wants to, to, to spend his ridiculous amount of money on this stuff to pay as much honor as he knows how to give to Jesus. And these two men, both Joseph and Nicodemus, are both members of the Sanhedrin. They're both kind of undercover followers of Jesus. Because they're, they're, neither one of them, I think, we're, we're certain at that moment, like, I don't think we're doing the right thing, you guys. I don't think we should be trying to kill this Jesus. How do we explain the miracles that he's done? And they, their voices clear, weren't, weren't loud enough in that because Jesus had to do what he had to do. But Nicodemus, to me, is the perfect illustration that Jesus is absolutely for everyone. We know that Jesus spends most of his time spending with the downcast, the, 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 the sinners, the lame, the prostitutes, all those things that we spent time looking about it. But in his death and after his death, right, he's near the wealthy, the privileged, the people that, according to the world standards, have it all. I mean, can you imagine how proud the parents are of a guy like Nicodemus? He's done the right things, man. He's gotten to the highest authority level uh, in, in what it means to worship God. He has, and to show for that, he has money and he has power and people respect him. And yet everyone, Jesus says, must be born again. The guy that has it all together still has to be born again. I wondered about Everybody sort of knows that title. We were talking in worship planning, like, born again. What is that? How did that get so popular? Okay. The year, 1976. Jimmy Carter's running for president, and he's the one that actually popularized that phrase because he wanted everyone to know that he was a born-again Christian, that he had lived a wayward life and he'd come back to Christ, and he wanted people to know that he was a born-again Christian. And so that's actually how the rest of the the non-evangelical world started to think about and talk about because that's how he said it. I'm a born-again Christian. His testimony involved um, drifting away from God. He used words like living a sinful lifestyle. Those are the words that he used to explain it and he needed to be born again. So the, in the evangelical community, 
Being born again became synonymous with people who had just lost their way. People who had turned away from God and were living a sinful life and they needed to get morals. They needed to have their morality be restored. They needed to be born again. And Nicodemus was one of the most moral guys on the planet, right? Jesus tells him that he has to start over. He kept the laws and he made sure other people kept the laws. And his life was full of morals and morality and doing the right things. And he was even one of those guys that we can now sort of like as a Pharisee because we know that he took an interest in Jesus. So we're like, oh, maybe this guy, this guy's, this guy's pretty good. But he's lived his life applying all the rules, but you still need to be born again. All of your moralism, all of your good deeds are not going to get you into heaven, which is a giant news flash. For them, and it's a giant news flash for us because we use the right language, but we've talked about this before. We don't always operate that way. We've got to get it together. So just in case you think Jesus is just for tax collectors and prostitutes, the down and outs, these sinners, Jesus is for everyone, especially those who look like they have their act together. Right? You're wealthy people. We are wealthy people. Jesus is addressing wealthy people. And whether you make $25,000 a year or you make $125,000 a year, just by being here, we are wealthy according to the world standards. Because when we turn on faucet, water comes out of it. He's talking to us that you need Jesus just as much as a prostitute needs Jesus. CEO, you need Jesus as much as the guy uh, with a needle hanging out of his arm needs Jesus. Right? Nicodemus recognized his need for Jesus. He had an open heart and an open mind. Right? There's a story in, in, in the Gospels, and it's told a couple different ways, and so there's lots of, I wonder what it, what it, you know, who this woman really was, but it sounds familiar. A woman... Um, with a sketchy past, I would say, um, comes to Jesus and anoints him with this really expensive perfume. And the, the Pharisees and the rulers are getting kind of t- like ticked at her. What, what are you doing that for? The money that this thing would have cost, knowing what she's done to earn the money to buy this perfume, we could have used that money for so many other things. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She understands my, her need for me. And Nicodemus has the exact same need. Different people, different lives, but the need for Jesus remains the same. Nicodemus was a guy that was religious and, and spends every single day at the temple, has large chunks of scripture committed to memory and can spout off the book of the law with no problem rolls off his tongue. And Jesus says that, Nicodemus, you need every bit as much of me as she does. Right? So we tend to look at, at, at a variety of people, right? We use, the Bible uses examples of prostitute all the time, right? The worst. A homeless man on the corner. A drug addict. A pregnant teen. The, the, the poor family that lives on that and in that neighborhood. They really need Jesus. We say that a lot. Like I, <laughs> friends of mine, when they see unruly like kids, oh, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. 
But who, I mean, we think about that, who, who do we automatically think of when we say, they, those are the people that need Jesus? What are some of our own biases in the way that we see people and that we see the world from where we live? Knowing that our lives are just different than other people's. Some of those people maybe are in this room together where we see each other differently. You need Jesus. I'm glad you're here. Right? We do that. We do that in church all the time. You need Jesus. I'm really glad you're here. Yeah, you need Jesus too. We need Jesus. We are all in need of a Savior. Sin occurs when we're constantly thinking about ourselves. And in this world now, in this generation, all of us, no matter what your age is, we just live in a world that we're constantly, constantly obsessed with ourselves. We just are. And, and some of that we blame on social media, and that's true, but some of it is just, it's just the, our own sinful, sinful, wayward selves that we think about ourselves all the time. And in our sort of self-centeredness, that leads to this idea of moral living. And moral living is a good thing, right? Like, we want to be moral people. People that do the right things for the right reasons, even when no one's looking. That's what my grandma always used to say. it: Do the right thing for the right reasons, even when no one's looking. But moral living leads to self-righteousness. And self-righteousness starts to think that we don't, we could do it on our own. We can, sa- we can save ourselves. I've got this covered. I'm here and I do my thing and um, I'm good enough. And we forget our need for a savior. We forget this idea of being what it means to be born again. We live a life that's good and then when we, if, if, as long as our good outweighs the bad, then God is going to throw open those pearly gates and welcome us in and it's going to be fantastic. And if there's ever an example that blows that theory out of the water, it's this one. Because Nicodemus is righteous. He tithes on top of tithes on top of tithes. He's, he's good to people. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. But in order to be born again, in order to have new birth in something, there has to be death of something else. I don't like that. It's uncomfortable. Because if we have to die to something, that starts to get, I don't want to. Because I like my stuff and I like my life the way it is, right? And so, but in order for there to be new life, there must be death. And for Nicodemus, I imagine for him it was death of position, death of um, moral superiority. For me, it's death of self-sufficiency and personal performance. And is everybody like me? You feeling good about it? Are you having a good time? I want you to have a good time. I want to make sure that you... That's me. I've been in a room where a child's been born, right? It is the most disgusting miracle <laughs> that I have ever seen in my life. I always forget that. When they talk about being babies being born, it's this like, it's a miracle and it's wonderful, but it's super gross also. And a little bit terrifying, all of those things, right? Like everybody in the room is sort of palpable, sort of terrified of all the things that are happening. Um, but, and and the mother, a mother goes through an extreme amount of, of pain, right? Whether you have drugs or not, it is not a, it is, it is not a, a great scenario for them. And they know it. The whole nine months that they're, that they're going to, that they're pregnant with a baby, they know this is going to happen to them. This is going to be the end result. They're going to get a baby, but man, there is going to be some major stuff in between. 
And in first century, right, when, if we think about all the, 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 the technology that we have, in the first century, the, both the baby and the mortality rate uh, were, were both really high for, for mothers and babies. Things go wrong and it takes the life of one or both. Especially in that day, and still is true today, someone has to be willing to die in order for birth to happen. That's just true. We hope that it doesn't, and it's you know, wonderful for a, a large majority of the time, but there's always these things that right? we think about. Somebody has to be willing for it to go sideways. You hear these stories about somebody that uh, gets pregnant and has cancer at the same time, right? And they have to choose. Are they gonna, what are they going to do? And so many of those mothers will choose to, to, to forgo treatment in order to make sure this baby arrives safely. They don't even know this person. They haven't even met this person, but they want to do whatever it takes to make sure that they arrive safely. And in John 16, Jesus sort of talks about this and alludes to this conversation again. When he's talking, he's trying to prepare his disciples for his impending death. And so John chapter 16, verse 20 says this. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that that child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and I will rejoice. And no one will take away our joy kind of alludes to that again, right? We know that moment, right? And if you're a mom and you, you remember that, that wasn't all that long ago, right, where you have a baby and no matter what traumatic thing happens, because sometimes moms get, you know, get together and when they want to recount all the things that happen, they talk about it like, you know, people do that we're in Nam, you know, like, and they all have their birth story and it's crazy. And they, and they, they remember it, but it feels more like an out-of-body experience because when they hold that baby all of that goes away. And they're just so thrilled that this child, right, is here and, that it's, and, and it's laying on you and it's, it's, your, it's your child and that's just amazing. And you forget, even though you remember, and, they, and these women have these stories, right, and they, sometimes they really like to tell their stories and so that's always uncomfortable. And, um, but they have more kids, right? Like you see, you don't see a lot of these families that just have just they, this the one time and that was all they wanted to do because they forget about that because they're now filled with joy and the joy that comes from having a child. And Jesus says, I will go through all the pain and when I see your faces again, all that pain will melt away and be forgotten because I find my joy in you. That's amazing. Everyone has to be born again. Everyone has to have a moment in their life when they recognize their need for a savior. Right? God is drawing you to himself. Some of you maybe had this moment when you were born into a family of believers. And so as this family of believers, they took you as a baby, most likely, and they brought you to church and they baptized you. And you were kind of this, this, this joy to them. And God put his mark and his seal on you as a covenant child of God. And then there comes a time later in your life when you say, yeah, I recognize my need for a savior. And then you have a moment where, where we call it profession of faith, where you uh, openly give us your testimony of why you want to follow Jesus. Everyone has that. Have you had that? Have you been born again? 
Maybe you were baptized as a baby. One of those things baptism isn't is you're good to go. I was baptized. I'm good. See you later. No, you have, you have to, you're engaging with Jesus. Jesus finds joy in you and wants you to be part of this family, but there comes a time where you have to recognize your need for a Savior. You have to be born again. You have to have this spiritual moment for you that says, I want this. I need this. Jesus is for me, and I want to be on this team. And that's what we want for you. As a church, we want this to be for you so that we can stand up here, and if you haven't been baptized yet and you want to follow Jesus, we'll fill this big tub, and we will dunk you, and we will celebrate, and it will be awesome. And if you've already made that commitment, um, but you've never told people about it, or you've never felt connected to it, and you want to stand up here someday and give your testimony about who Jesus is and the ways that he has loved you and cared for you, we want you to have that opportunity. And that's the kind of church that we want to be as we bring and welcome people in to say, have you been born again? Are you, have you recognized your need for a Savior? Pray that prayer with me. Be those people in the world that are inviting people in to a conversation about Jesus so they too can be born again. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful. We're grateful for the ways that you love us and you call us. Everything starts with you. You always make the first move. You never leave us hanging. It's not one of those things where we can come to you and then you pull away. No, you've been, you've been reaching out to us our whole life. And we want to reach back to you. We want to, we want to love you. We want to recognize our need for a Savior and to say that when, when we become yours, children of God, that we get a new life and a new heart and we are made new and clean and pure. Not because of anything we've done or can do, but because of who you are. The ways that you have just instrumented all these things in our life to give us opportunities and experiences and people that you've used to, to draw us into a relationship to you, maybe you're, they're here right now. And I pray that this can be a community of believers that will encourage them and lift them up and help them on a journey to say yes and to discover how much you love them. God, you are good and your love endures forever. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.